You know, there's a lot of things that we think we need. There's a lot of things we pursue because we want. But what do we really need? What do we really need? All I need is you, Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God. I thank you, Lord, that we can worship you in song. We can have fun with the video and sort of preparing us for what we're going to talk about. But when it comes down to it, Lord, as we are here this morning, all we need is you. So we, we sing to you. We pray to you. We give our tithes and our offerings to you. We connect with other people, and it's good to see them. But, Lord, we come here together as a family. Even for those that are visiting for the first time, we come as family and friends to worship you and you alone. So, God, prepare our hearts for this message and what we need to hear from you this morning. In the name we pray, amen. Hey, we're in a series called American Idols. And uh, hopefully, as you've caught on throughout the past couple of weeks, you're hearing about all these different idols. This morning, I, did anybody want to make a guess what we're talking about this morning? God of what? Money? I hope that was sort of clear. Uh, here's the deal. See, in Christianity, we worship a very powerful, almighty, loving, all-knowing, faithful God. And He has this relentless love for us. I mean, He tracks us down and pursues us, and he says, I love you so much, I'm sending my son to die for you. It's an amazing thing. God wants our hearts. He's got this incredible love for us. Problem is, all these other things want a piece of our heart too. There's only room for one. There's only room for one. God says, I want that room. But other things come along, like we've talked about, whether it's a God of comfort, whether it be sleep or food or whatever it might be. It might be the God of physical intimacy and love might be the God of money, might be another God. There's all kinds we're going to talk about today, though. Um, again, we, could, we can easily worship all these things. We're going to focus on one thing this morning. And actually, I'm going to let Mark Twain, you believe that? We're opening up a sermon with Mark Twain quote, okay? Mark Twain said this, some men worship rank, some worship heroes, some worship power, some worship God. And over these ideals, they dispute and cannot unite. But they all worship money. They all worship money. I think many of us would say uh, money isn't that important, right? Like, no, it's not that important. We don't need to talk about that at church today. Money's not that big of a deal, right? But if I were to look at your checkbook, look at your life, look at your daily calendar, we'd probably find out that a lot of our pursuit reveals around money. To have a ton of money is the ultimate dream for people, right? Matter of fact, if I were to ask some of the teens that are in here today and say, hey, if you had three wishes, what would it be? Okay, what would you wish for? What would, what would be the ultimate fantasy for you? You know, what would you want to do? You know, a lot of times it comes around to this. If I can win the lottery, right? If I could nail that big contract. Uh, I've had kids say, if I had one wish, I'd wish for a money tree that never stops growing, you know? See, if you were to watch TV, maybe a movie, read a novel, uh, maybe hear a story, I want you to think about this. A lot of times, those characters and those stories live with the pursuit of wealth. Think about some of the movies you've seen lately. What was the driving force? What was it they were pursuing? What were they really going after? Was it money? Was it wealth? 
producers and writers, I think they've nailed it. Um, they know they're going to write a script about people. Well, I don't have time, the father, I'm out working a job, and I've got to work extra hours because I'm getting a lot of money to take care of my family. Or it's that power position and job that they want so that the higher the ranking, the more money. Or maybe it's a struggle over drugs or something else because that involves money, right? I think these, these writers of these TV shows and these producers of these movies, they, they've nailed it because it resonates with us, with the audience. It sort of clicks. We're sort of like, yeah, I can, I, can res I, can, I can understand. I get that. It makes sense to me, right? They know it's going to resonate with us because wealth is a real goal, a real pursuit in our life. Sometimes it's maybe not a huge pursuit. Maybe it just sort of lingers there. Here's the thing, and I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but uh, raise your hand if you've heard this. Money doesn't make you happy. Raise your hand if you've heard that phrase before. Okay, now look around. Keep them up, keep them up, look around. So basically everybody's heard that, right? Okay, who came up with that? Who came up with that saying? Money doesn't make you happy. Honestly, I feel a little bit happier when I've got a little extra cash in my pocket. I'm just saying. Okay, don't expect your pastor to stand up here and say, Money doesn't make you happy. When I have a pocket full of money, I am so unhappy. No, I'm happy, okay? I'll admit it. I've got a couple extra bucks in my pocket. It's like, look at there. You know, have you ever had those moments when maybe you had a $10 bill or $20 bill? That's about as high as it goes in my five, okay? But if you had that, it's maybe tucked away. Maybe it's a five, maybe it's a one. Tucked away in your pocket, coat pocket, winter coat. You put it away. You got your winter coat. Put it on. Like, well, I have more than this since last winter. You put your hand in your pocket. It's like, oh. A $20 bill. Now, what was your first reaction when you do that, right? It's like, yes, there's happiness, right? I've never seen anybody put their hand in their pocket like, oh, a 20. I hate it when it happens. Why couldn't it have been a one? Right? You're, it makes you happy. I remember a few years ago, we, were, uh, we had the youth group, and we went out to that field out by Walmart, uh, that field that's just uh, east of Walmart. You know the field that all the trash blows into, Okay. We took a group of teens and we went out there and we walked the field just picking up trash. Took garbage bags and we were just picking up trash, picking up trash. And uh, I, have to, I have to admit, it was, it was a little tedious, okay? You know what picked up our pace? When one of the kids like, hey, a $10 bill. Everybody's like, I'm on, I'm, on, I'm on garbage now, duty. Everybody was picking up. We found $37 that day out in the field. Yeah, some of you are leaving church, you're like, I'm gonna pick up trash at Walmart, okay? I couldn't believe it. It was like, it was sort of exciting, you know? We were having, and again, not one of these kids were like, I did not enjoy that at all. They're like, man, that was fun. Look, look what we found. They were excited about it, right? Here's the thing, okay? Truth is, money, money doesn't make you happy. It makes you happy, but it doesn't bring you inner joy. It doesn't bring you peace. Maybe that's what we're trying to say, right? Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. That's the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. Luke, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. Okay. Luke chapter 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke 12. It's a great story here Jesus is sharing. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Jesus is talking to a crowd of thousands. Now, you can just imagine this, okay? Uh, if you're at the game Friday night, you saw a lot of cool things. Uh, it was an exciting game for Wauseon. They had a, a blast, a great victory. It, it, listen, there's more. And Cole is in here this morning, but 
some of the kids in the band do a fantastic job too, and all over the stadium, different things going on, okay? Now, I'm giving you a picture for this reason. That's thousands of people, okay? So picture Jesus speaking to that kind of a crowd. Okay, sometimes you say, you know, Jesus is teaching a group of people. We think like this. Think multiple to this, okay? Much more. Thousands. He's captivated them with his words. He's challenged them to be faithful to God. He's given them all this incredible stuff. He urges them to see life through the lens of eternity. He just taught on our great value to God, how people have incredible value to God, the importance of standing for Him. So this incredible message goes out, and then there's a man in the crowd. Sort of, I don't know, he raises his hand, maybe he just steps forward. He's got one thing on his mind. All these great things that Jesus just spoke about. And he goes, <clears throat> excuse me, sir, I, money on the mind right now. I've got a question for you. And so he brings out this question. He says this. Look at verse 13. Someone called from the crowd. Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Okay. It has nothing to do with what I was just preaching on, right? Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now, according to the law of the day, an older brother, the elderly brother, okay, would receive two-thirds of the inheritance, and a younger brother would receive one-third of the inheritance. That's the law. The man didn't ask Jesus, hey, listen to both sides, my brother and I, and make a righteous judgment. He didn't do that. He said, take sides with me against my brother is what he was saying. Now, obviously, Jesus' early words, the need for full commitment, God's care, those words didn't penetrate this man's heart. He had one thing on his mind, and that was the money, the inheritance. He felt he needed to fight for what was his, but in reality, sometimes when we, we may fight and fight for what is ours by right, and in the end, having, having it may be worse then maybe we just let God take care of it instead of fighting for it, right? You ever been there doing that? Jesus uses this man's request to speak now to the crowd about greed. See, Jesus on a roll teaching. This man interrupts, talk about his money and the wanting it and greed. She's like, okay, let's talk about greed. Let's, let's talk about this. You know, perhaps this man's passionate request for, for justice might have been a motive in there somewhere, a low motive. But he was more animated, more motivated by greed than by justice. And Jesus says this. He says, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Look at the person next to you and tell them. Beware. Guard against greed. Go ahead and tell them. We've got to tell each other that every now and then. Jesus preaches it. He teaches it. We've got to remind ourselves of this because actually here the word beware is a strong word. It really doesn't do justice when we read this sometime. The idea is that we're all under attack by greed. So if you can imagine, again, we probably can't relate to this too much here in America, but let's say we had a neighboring county come over and attack us, okay? They've come to invade your home. they come to invade our city. 
And we would, we would be screaming at each other, beware, hey, guard against, you know, we got to guard against them. Hey, look out, it's coming in. Somebody's coming in, trying to get into your house. And you're saying, guard the windows, guard the doors, and you're screaming, okay? That's the kind of intensity Jesus is using here. He's saying, beware. Guard against it. Somebody get to those doors. Somebody get to that door. Somebody get that guarded. Don't let anybody in this room. That's what we're talking about here. You follow me on this? It isn't one of those, thou shalt guardeth thy heart. Bewareth. Okay? We sort of get in that mode of the, you know, the Bible. It's like, oh, it's more intense, okay? And it wasn't so much a money question. It was the guy was coming to him saying, hey, Jesus, you got my back on this one? See, I already, I already have my, my ideals and my mind set up about money and possession. I've already got this. What I need you to do is back up my statement, my position on this. You got me on this one, Jesus? Did you ever do that before the Bible? Man, I know I believe this. I just need to find a verse that backs me up on this. We can see. You ever do that before? It's like, I know where I stand. Let's see if Jesus stands with me on this. It should be vice versa. This is where Jesus stands. Do we stand with him on this? That's the way it should be, right? So he comes like many of us to Jesus, already decided about finances. We truly don't want Jesus' opinion. We just want him to decide with our opinion. That's sort of what's happening here. Jesus makes it a point that life is not about money. And so he goes, matter of fact, I'm going to tell you a story. Since we're going to talk about this, why don't you all just get comfortable? Because I'm going to tell you a story. I call it, well, they're going to call it a parable down the road, but right now I'm going to call it a story, okay? By the way, there are 38 parables told by Jesus, and 16 of them have to do with money. Okay? And why is that? Because the God of money is often God's main competition for our heart. Again, God wants our heart. Other things are fighting for it. All those things that we've been talking about the last few weeks, and now the next one that's trying to get in here is money. just wants to shove God right out. It's a rival, okay? And the problem isn't money, okay? Let's get this, let's make sure we get this straight, okay? Money isn't the root of all kinds of evil, but what is? The love of money is, right? 1 Timothy 6.10, once you turn with me, I put something right here in Luke. We're coming back to it, okay? Coming right back to it. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's incredible scripture here, and there's a lot more to it, and we're going to pick out one verse, and we'll come back to it later. 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money, didn't say money, the love of money is at the root of all kinds of evil. Some people craving money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Did you hear that? You see what money does to us? I'm sorry. Do you see what the love of money does to us? Read that last part. See, a lot of times we're like, well, the love of money is the root of all evil. Yes, that's true. That's correct. Now read the rest of it. And some people, craving money, that's the love for it, have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. When we start loving money, it takes root in our heart. Guess where God goes? Out the back door. Our faith is hindered. And we're pierced with sorrow. Money is amoral. That means it's not good or bad in and of itself. But it holds the potential to become a God substitute if we allow it. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, he said this, No man can serve two masters. You'll hate one and you will love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. 
But you cannot serve both God and money. Why did Jesus use money there? Why didn't he say, you can't serve God and food, or God and sleep, or God and love? He, he said God and money. Why did he put that one in there? Because he knew it's a big rival for our hearts. Go back to the book of, now wait a second, wait a second, before you turn. Put something now here in 1 Timothy, and let's go back to Luke 12, okay? Stick something in there you can find and come back to. Go back now to Luke chapter 12. That being said, we're set up here. Jesus says, okay, I got a story for you. You want me to settle a dispute? You really don't want me to settle a dispute. You just want me to side with you, but you better watch out. You better guard against greed because you're in a bad place. And so he tells this story. Let's look at verse 16. Rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. In fact, his barns were full to overflowing. So he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store everything. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough food for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you'll die this very night. Then who will get it all? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. You know, his trouble, his anxiety of this man in this story was reflected by a simple phrase. You see it? What should I do? What should I do? You know, I, I think when we're young, we think this. If I have a lot of money, I won't have any problems. I'll be free from stress and anxiety, right? Here's a rich man, a rich man full of what? Cares, anxiety. What should I do? What, what should I do? I, he's all set. He still has anxiety. This rich man is just as full of stress as a poor man is. The rich man in the parable thought it was all for him too. I don't know if you noticed that. My crops, my barns, my goods, my soul. Thirteen times. There's a personal pronoun in there referencing himself. Everything was about him, nothing about God. And it proved in the end that nothing was of his own soul was even subject to God. He didn't have any crops. He didn't have any barns in the end. He didn't have any goods. And his soul was dead. Kyle Eidelman, in his book, Gods of War, says this about two-year-olds. Okay, um, most of the two-year-olds are back in toddler right now, okay? But two-year-olds have a limited vocabulary, he said. You can be sure, though, that two-year-olds have this word down. Ready? Mine. Look at the person next to you and say, mine. Look at him and say it like a two-year-old. Go for it. Yeah, I love it. Mine, mine. You guys sound like uh, Finding Nemo and the seagulls. Mine, mine, mine. They're consumed with that, what, ownership rights, right? Two-year-olds like, mine, mine, mine. You could go into a nursery. Beautiful little girl, curly long hair, playing with her dolly, brushing its hair. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I, and they're just singing to her little dolly. And another boy or another girl comes in and goes to grab that doll. And all of a sudden, she's like, mine! And their head spins like an exorcist. You know, it's like, ah. That beautiful little girl, what happened? It's like, mine. It's because every two-year-old got it, right? 
And we think when we get older, we forget that. No, we're, we're still good at it as adults. Aren't we? So that's mine. You know, did you guys do this? Growing up, we called everything in our house. Did you call everything like you leave the room? My chair. I call that. Did you guys ever do that? Save. That chair is saved. That's mine. Mine. You got that? You leave the room. I have four brothers, one sister. Oh, sometimes they were also called wrestling matches. Okay? I saved that chair, you know. Mine. Well, the crazy thing is when we approach money from that perspective, that it all belongs to us, it's mine, 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 it doesn't work. I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't work. What did Jesus say about this man? He called him a what? He called him a fool, right? The question is, why did he call him a fool? Because he was rich? No. See, a lot of times we say, he was the rich fool. He was a fool because he lived without any awareness of what would happen in eternity. He was a fool because he chose not to hear God and listen to God and follow God. Man's problem was not that he had treasure on earth, but that he was not rich toward God. You know, we can become rich toward God in a lot of different ways, but here's the challenge. Here's how we become rich toward God. Let me, how you, let me tell you how to become a millionaire with God right now, okay? Here's the first thing. Place your faith in him. Trust him and him alone. That's the first step. Here's the second thing of this, is trust him for your needs. Just trust him for your needs. And here's the last thing. Give sacrificially. You want to be a millionaire with God? You want to be rich towards him? Have a trusting relationship with him. And trust him for your needs and give sacrificially. That's the best way to start being a millionaire for God. You know, we may become rich toward God by investing in our spiritual relationship with him, and really we want to. We can understand what to do with that money then, right? See, a key to keeping money in the right place is remember this. It all belongs to God. Let me hear you say, it belongs to God. So that was hard, wasn't it? It's like, but it's in my pocket, right? Ecclesiastes 5.15 says this. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. Can't take our riches with us, can we? we uh, what we have is basically a loan from God. Some of us got loans from different people, family members, the bank. You got a loan from God. Psalm 24.1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth, everything in it. So unless you live on the moon or Mars, okay, this is God's. The world and all its people belong to him. Ownership, God. So what I have is God's. Now remember, as I said last week, the problem is not the gift from God. It's when we take the gift that God's given us and we worship it. As I said, money's not bad, but it's when we worship money, that's when it's bad. So just go through your home sometime, recognize that all you have is God. So let's take, for instance, this morning, you got up and you got out of whose bed? That was God's bed, Right? You walk into God's bathroom, you turn on God's shower, you put on God's clothes, you go eat God's cereal, and you drink God's coffee, you get into God's car, and you go to work. So that God can bless you with opportunity to have more things that he's given you. We're very blessed. We're truly blessed. I remember taking a group of teens to a, an inner city 
um, the homeless shelter in Chicago. We pulled in. This is just for the weekend. We pulled in. Seriously. All these kids had like two suitcases, you know. It was just a weekend in Chicago. We pull into a homeless shelter. We come in and we stack all these suitcases along this huge wall. I mean, there's just piles of stuff, okay? And we all sit down like this, and we took up about a section about this big, maybe half, and the director from the shelter stood in front of us, and then she looked at the stuff, and she looked at us, and goes, you have more stuff than the people who live here. This is their home. You came here for the weekend, you've got more than they do. Oh, can I tell you how the guilt level went whoop, on us? We're like, oh. you know, it's like, wow. And she goes, and she smiled at us and she said, you are so blessed. God's really blessed you. And she almost started to cry. She goes, don't be ashamed. Don't feel guilty for what you have. God's blessed you. Just make sure you tell God thank you. Oh, man, that hit me like a ton of bricks. When you look at this parable, you see that this man used money as a source of security. A lot of us feel that way. If I've got enough money, I feel secure, right? Lack of money, you start getting anxious. So you work hard to accumulate to feel secure, but does that really work? I mean, really, when you get more money, does that really make you feel secure? Probably not, because once you feel secure with all that money, guess what happens? Now you're worried about losing that money. So that anxiousness is still there, so you're not secure anymore, are you? I sit there and think, how is it that when I visit the Dominican Republic and I see these people who are so content, they seem to be so content. They have so little compared to what I have. I'm sitting there going, man, I've got so much more than you, but you seem to be happier than I am. Why is that? Proverbs 30, verses 8 to 9 says this. First, help me to never tell a lie. That's one of our prayers in our family when we pray in the morning. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who's the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Paul said this, 1 Timothy 6, 9. So let's go back to 1 Timothy 6, 9 now. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says this. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. See, the God of money whispers into our ears, we can take care of ourselves, we can handle our own needs, right? The Lord is nice, but he really isn't necessary. That's what money does, whispering into our ears sometimes. Don't pray for daily bread. Pray for a pantry full. Money does not equal security. Also, what we learned in this parable is that this man used money as a source of satisfaction. He thinks to himself, if I accumulate just a little bit more, I can take life easy. So if I have more, I can be satisfied. You know, Christmas is coming. And I remember growing up at Christmas time, I was thinking about this. I used to go through the J.C. Penny catalog. Anybody go through the J.C. Penny catalog when I was a kid? Okay, anybody like... 30 and under probably have no clue what that's all about, okay? But above that, some of you know what I'm saying, okay? You sort of look through that, and uh, you sort of made a wish list, and it wasn't small, you know? He's like, oh, this is, but the reality was it's only going to be one thing, okay? Um, I didn't really think I needed much. Um, I was pretty satisfied as a kid. 
And I'll tell you why. Because my parents were satisfied. See, you learn from your parents. My parents were satisfied, and they learned from their parents. So when I go to Grandpa Stump's house at Christmas, he gave us a dollar bill. I go to Grandpa Geyer's house, he gave us a $10 bill. So at Christmas, I got $11, plus one gift from my mom and dad. And then again, four brothers, one sister, so each of us drew names, and you know, you got that person's name, you gave them a gift. So then I got one gift from my sibling. I always prayed it wasn't David. Okay. <laughs> David's my oldest brother. He went to Bob Jones University. Nothing against that, but he was, he was very, okay, well, he's a minister, okay, so he liked books. And you know, if you got David's name, you know what you're going to get? A book. I didn't want a book. I wanted a mousetrap. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but having, you know, those things, it's like, well, don't you want more? You know, you know what? You know what? You know what I liked at Christmas? Let me share with you what I liked at Christmas. This is what I liked at Christmas. Okay? Togetherness. Family just sitting around the table. The laughter, the stories. Finding a marble in the corn. Now, where did that go? Some, at some point in time, when mom was freezing corn, we must have had a marble fight. And it got in the corn, and she's cooking it, and they, hey, a marble in the corn? Yeah. Stories that we just laugh about and think about. Card games, Uno, Dutch Blitz, Skip Bow. Game of barn basketball. Oh, barn basketball is awesome. Okay, seriously, in a barn, poles, you use them as picks. It's great. Okay, gloves on didn't matter. That's what that's what Christmas was. It was a Hallmark Christmas story, right? For you Hallmark fans. Okay, it wasn't perfect. It was just togetherness. And a lot of times we think we look at those pictures. Well, it would be a perfect get together if this, right? Togetherness. Ecclesiastes five ten says this: Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Truth is, the more you have, the more you spend, right? So money doesn't equal satisfaction. It really doesn't. And money is not used, we found out, as a source of significance. That's what this man thought. He thought, I have great value, I have great worth if I have a lot of stuff. God already created you with great value. God already created you with purpose and worth. You don't need stuff to prove that. When Jesus died on the cross, who did he die for? The rich? The poor? Everyone, right? He died for everyone. The value is not in what we have. The value is in us. He died for us, not for our stuff. Examine your heart. See if the God of money has slithered, slithered its way in and sort of pushed God out. That's, that's all I'm asking this morning. This is not a sermon on we need more money in the offering. This is a sermon on be careful that money does not slither in and push God out. Do not let money become a God in your life. That's what this sermon's about. Deuteronomy 14, 20 says this. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses his name to be honored, and eat there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, firstborn males of your flocks and herd. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. God said, you know what? You know what we do with money? Just give back to God. This will teach you to fear him. Purpose in tithing was not uh, to see how much we can get out of our pockets. It was to say, I'm putting you first, God. You're first in my life. Here's the challenge, okay? How many kids in here played hot potato? Did you guys ever play hot potato? Okay, did you guys play hot potato? Hot potato? Hot potato? Hot, okay. Roger, thank you. Okay. Um, here's the thing with hot potato, okay? The goal is to what? I'm coming over to you guys. You guys help me out. In the goal of hot, hot potato, what's, what's, what's the goal? What are you trying to do? The goal of hot potato is to then sometimes 
You want to be the last one to. You don't want to get out. So when the music stops, you do not want that in your hand, right? Because if it's in your hand, you're out, right? You play the beanbag? Oh, man. Who, play, who actually played with a hot, real hot potato? Anybody? Okay. Did you burn your hands again? Did you, did you burn your hands? Why did you not burn your hands? Because it wasn't that hot. Okay, let's pretend. Who's playing with a hot potato? Come on. Okay. You played with a real hot potato. Flaming hot. Okay. Did you win? No, I'm sorry. Let me see. You. Did you burn your hands? No. Well, that's good. Did you hold on to it? No. That's excellent. That's all I needed to hear this morning. It took me a while. We got there. It's okay. Okay. Now, the point is, in a hot potato game, you've got that potato, beanbag, whatever it be. The game is, you do not want to hold on to it. You do not want to keep it. If you actually held on to a hot potato, you pull it out of the oven, it's wrapped in foil, you just nuked it, and you bring it out in the microwave, and you're going to burn your hands. So you toss it around. Somebody was tossing around a hot potato one time. This, ha, 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 right? And they're like, this, this ought to be a game. Yeah, here, you. Ha, ha. And they're back. I don't know how that started. It started a game. That's called hot potato, right? The point is, you don't hold on to it. How about we start doing that with our money? A little game of hot potato. Have a hot potato attitude. Get rid of it. Don't hold on to it. John 3, 16 says what? For God so loved that he gave, right? God says, I'm setting a tone here on this hot potato game. I love you so much, I'm giving. God wants us to do the same thing. Take the focus off ourselves, give back. To get this false God off the throne of our hearts, we've got to replace it with God. There's not room for two. So God says, let me have it. Okay? So let's replace greed with giving. Let's replace selfishness with serving. You know, I always believe this. Life is like a middle school volleyball game. The team that serves well seldom loses, right? Learn to serve. Chick-fil-A. A couple years ago, Christmas time, a worship team, why don't you come on up? Um, uh, Chick-fil-A had this deal going on where somebody drove through their, their drive and they, and they paid for their food at the window. And they said, hey, how much is the person's food behind me? I want to pay for that. And they told them how much it was. They paid for it and they drove off. Well, the next car pulls up and um, they said, how much, the person in front of you just paid. Well, you can't thank them. They're already driven off, right? Well, since I can't thank them, I'll pay for the person behind me. So they paid for the person behind them. They drove off. Next person pulls up. Seventy cars later, it was still going. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I don't know who the seventy-first car was, but I. <laughs> so, how much? Forget that. <laughs> don't be seventy-one. Okay. John Bunyan said this: "You've not lived today until you've done something for someone who can never repay you." I like that quote, but. I like this one better from Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. Give freely, become more wealthy. Be stingy, you lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Learn to have a hot potato attitude. Learn to give it away. Okay? It's not ours, it's God's. Do not let the God of money take over in this spot. There's only one that belongs here. That's God. Amen? Please stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're an awesome God, and we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for the many blessings you give us and all the good things you give us, Lord. Lord, I pray that we have learned uh, this morning that as all the gifts you give us, they're from you, and the problem is, is when we make them gods and replace you. So, Lord, this morning, help us remember that there's only one, one place, 
Only room for one in our heart, that's you. So God, examine our hearts this morning. May your spirit speak to us and tell us, Lord, if there's something that needs to go. Maybe our attitude towards money. Stop loving it. And instead pursue that eternal relationship with you. Maybe we need to be more generous. Maybe we're doing really good in this subject, Lord, but we just need to be reminded that today is a day to be thankful for the blessings you've given us. Thank you, God, for being an awesome and mighty God. Lord, we love you and we want to continue to worship by singing to you.